Welcome to the Tune Shed, the workshop for everything music from history, theory, creative process, production, you name it. We're here to become better music listeners, better creators, and better music lovers. I'm your host, Mick Blurry, and I'm here with my dear childhood friend and professional musician, Marty Gray. What's up, Marty? We're also here with special guest, Leland Kumar Regekult. What's up, Leland? Welcome in part two. Let's get into it. Part two. Oh, my God. Well, okay, so now that we have a certified acoustician with us, We've got to talk about phasing. I fa- I feel like that's what we gotta we gotta really break down for people because I get a lot of questions in just a sort of studio life and also from listeners about phasing, and sort of the 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 practical thing is like, you know, look it up and use your ears. But I want to hear from Kumar about how how would you describe phasing to someone who's never heard of it before. Hmm. All right. Well, so I feel like the way that like I learned about phasing that just had it actually click for me was um, was learning basically a demonstration, a demonstration where uh, someone they they show me they played me a perfect sine wave, and then and they basically had it on two tracks, like one a perfect sine wave, a perfect sine tone, you know, which means it's a perfectly smooth wave right and then they duplicated that wave and reversed the polarity of it so when one wave is going up the other one is going down and then and then they played them at the same time and it was complete silence and it was it was madness to me because like if you shifted it slightly or if if the polarity wasn't reversed, you play them, it'd be twice as loud. And it's like that audio is still there, but then you flip it and it's like, then it starts to make you really think about what are we even looking at on this computer screen? The, all these sine waves and waves are actually are real air moving around in our yeah. ears, like hitting our ears and stuff like that. But so with that demonstration, then overstanding that d- demonstration, Basically, the way I think about phasing then is like that is when you have a perfect sine wave and when you flip the polarity exactly and everything is perfectly mirrored. But what happens when phasing is nothing is a is a perfect sine wave for one and it's not going to be perfectly flipped in polarity. It's going to be slightly shifted, you know, slightly out of phase. That's what they say. So when that happens, it's not that you completely lose all the audio like you did when it was a perfect wave, but you lose information out of that audio because, because the way the waves are basically canceling each other out in certain places, you're losing certain information from those two original sources of audio. Right. So that's sort of what made it click to me is like having that first demonstration of the, of the smooth wave. And then, I guess thinking using that logic to try and understand what was actually happening to the sound waves when we're experiencing phasing. And then it's like, yeah, you have to listen to that and figure out how you're going to identify that, you know, as it happens, you get used to figuring out what the sound of phasing kind of is. I mean, the giveaway is like, you kind of lose the low end. That's sort of what I learned. Yeah. Like why the low end in particular? Why the low end in particular? I think it's because low end is easier to notice Ooh. when when there's phase cancellation. Yeah. Right? 
And just to just to catch some of our listeners up on what exactly we're talking about, um, we are talking specifically when you try and record one source with two mics in order to get a stereo image, right? So typically, like I, for for all of our video watchers, I have a mic stand over here preset with a couple small diaphragm condensers, oh. and it looks like this. It's just sort of like set up in a little X Y pattern. Okay. Like there, a couple of Rode NT5s. And I like recording acoustic guitar because if you were to record an acoustic guitar with one microphone, you would get a mono signal, and that signal would be directly in the middle. Um, but if you record that acoustic guitar with two microphones pointing any which direction, recorded, you know, one end of, you know, one microphone over here, one microphone all the way over there, and then you pan each microphone hard left and hard right, you get a stereo image. And that can be an issue sometimes because of what Kumar is describing, phase cancellation, right? When two waves cancel each other out and you lose information. And so, is yeah. Is that because and, the time, so like you play the guitar and the sound waves are going out into space and then one wave sort of hits the microphone on the, the top of the wave, right? And the other wave, it's the bottom of the wave that's hitting the microphone. And so when those things go into the computer, they're like slightly off from each other and you get some of that cancellation effect. Is that is that what happens? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And like, Kumar, how, how would you describe the sound of phase cancellation? I've heard it described like a lot of different ways, but. Yeah, I mean, one one term that I learned is that it was called comb filtering. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard that term, comb filtering, which kind of, I guess, just thinking about it, it kind of makes sense that it's like, think about like a comb going through your sound wave and pulling away certain information, you know, not all of it, but it's basically, I mean, I would say it just sounds thinner. There's like a, a thinness to it and, and it can sound like, well, for all, all the like guitar players or Rhodes players out there, we all know there's like a phaser effect that sometimes we utilize mm. as like an artistic move. So if you think about what that effect is doing, um, you can kind of, it's not quite that drastic, but yeah, that sort of sweeping, sweeping thinness. If your bass sounds like shit, it's probably, you got phase issues. <laughs> yeah, Things like that. I mean, yeah, those are like the dead giveaways. And then it's just like, on a lot of gear, there's a, you know, a phase flip that you can you can just hit and just A, B it. And whichever one sounds better, keep that one, basically. We have a whole episode on A, Bing stuff. <laughs> we love yeah. Yeah. That kind of... Wait, so I have a question, though, because, okay, so a sound wave, I know A is 440 and that kind of thing. But, like, if, if you actually could see sound in space, I know that some bass waves are, like, pretty long, like, literally long. And a lot of sound waves are super short. I'm not sure exactly the measurements. Maybe one of you two know, but how how would you ever get rid of all phasing? You know, because like if it's really bad, like if it question. was perfect phasing, it would, it would be silent, right? So you could hear that. And then if it's really bad, you can hear it. But then, like, isn't there always a little bit? Because how do you get those signals lined up? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> it's just I'm... like you just don't want it to be too bad. Is that really? 
Yeah, I feel like I don't know if I feel like in the world I don't know if anything is perfectly. I mean, I also think it has to do with like what we were talking about at the beginning is that we're not dealing with perfect sine waves in the world. We're dealing with complex waveforms. Oh, yeah. So it's never gonna fully like cancel out or right. fully double it. It's gonna everything is gonna be kind of somewhere in between. And you we're just yeah, yeah, I feel like we're trying to contour it to get it to be to make it sound good. That's yeah. what we're trying to do. <laughs> so if, sounds, if something sounds funky, one of the things you can think is or maybe it's thin, maybe the low end's gone, then you should think like, hey, can I is there a phase thing on my gear? Like are there other ways to solve it too? It's just it's just let's make this sound a little bit. And but also where it really comes in key is like what Marty was just showing us is like do what you can while you're actually tracking and recording to mm -hmm. eliminate those issues. Like if you're recording one source with two microphones, you don't want to have those microphones be at drastically different distances from the source. You want them at that that the nice pad. That's why he's got them like here where the the capsules of the microphones are right next as close as they possibly can be to each other so that the single sound source is coming and hitting them at all as as close to the same time as we can get basically oh so there's like yeah. a higher risk of it the farther away it is for some reason huh yeah i mean you can think about different. it like you can think about it like air in a room and it's like if you have them at different distances like say the speakers you know the speakers are over right there for me like the sound from the speaker is going to hit my left hand before it hits my right hand. Yeah. So, so then probably it, out of phase then. <laughs> yeah. If my hands are recording. These are going to be, you can, you can guarantee they're going to be out of phase. And then it, and then if we even want to think more, you know, physical sound waves, like the distance between my two hands, right? How, what, what sound wave is going to fit in there? And if it's a full up and down and back to the center, that's right there you know it's going to be fully out of phase then you know and then that's when you got to right. go slide it in so yeah the ways to fix phase is either hitting your polarity switch on your gear or whatever you got or zooming all the way in on your waveforms and just looking at them and sliding them right into they're both going up at the same time both going down at the same time you know you don't want them to be one going up while one is going down yeah, that's a good fix. I always forget about that fix. Just nudge the track that's out of phase over a few milliseconds. It really works. The, to where the side with the the waves sort of line up. Well, so, so do delays okay. and stuff call cause like like you know outside of recording stuff in, you have your track, you put a delay on it. So like, could that cause a phasing issue, or like a reverb, or just just duplicating a track? You know any of that? Usually those, usually those effects are not used like completely wet and dry you know so you're still going to have your oh. original signal in there which would ideally be in phase and then it's like you have this secondary signal as Dude, the wet thing. thing that yeah. might have phase but that might be a cool effect that might be what that might make a really cool sounding delay you know okay yeah so practically like everything in music it's like to your taste it not yeah. it's not a perfectly always bad thing maybe when you record it is but and practically yeah, you want... speaking it's it's usually never worried about phase and like a return bus or something yeah okay not usually well okay so i want to run through a couple like scenarios with with kumar so let's say let's say kumar you're tracking a drum set and for the purposes of the thought experiment 
all you have is two mics, just two overhead mics. You're super punk, you know, and you have two beautiful overhead mics and you check the snare drum. You're hitting the snare drum and how, how would you notice phasing first of all? And what would you be listening for? Hmm. Okay. So yeah, specifically with the snare drum, you know, that's going to be a little bit harder because there's not a lot of low end in the snare drum, you know, it's mostly high end. So it's not like you're going to be missing that. First things first, I'm going to be doing my best to like, I'll even get the measuring tape out and measure the distance between going from the snare drum to both of my overheads, you know? You could get that technical with it if you want. But then if you're in there and you're you're still, I would be, I would say still just listening. To me, it's just, yeah, it's like a thinness to the audio. It's like, it's just like there's something not there. There's something just not there. I mean, maybe maybe it's a matter of going out into back into the live room and listening to the snare acoustically, then going back in and monitoring it where in the control room where you're, where you're monitoring your uh, overheads, right? And seeing is that, is there, do we feel like we're losing information there? Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good idea. Cause yeah. you also like listen to just one mic at a time and see if, yeah, like, I know the that, loudness might be different, but you could sort of see what it sounds like. Well, with that, it's not actually gonna, because the phasing is going to occur when you're playing both mics at the same time and the signals are slightly out of phase, right? Yeah. So soloing one overhead is not going to help you figure out the phase. Oh, but just to like, you you solo and listen to one and then you put both on and you're like, that sounds different. True. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, definitely that. Definitely what, that. what I've seen a lot too is after measuring both of the overheads and making sure they're the same distance from the snare drum, just to check if they're in phase you would go to one of your preamps um, or one of your channels in your audio interface and you would press the button that has the circle and the slash. So that's the phase flip button. And you're, if you're thinking your drums are in phase, when you flip the phase on one of the tracks, all of a sudden your snare is going to sound really thin and weird. And that's sort of oh. how you know that you've done it right. But if the, if you're if in you, phase, the opposite should be out of phase. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you should be getting weird. Like the snare drum will all all of a sudden sound really thin. Or sometimes I've heard it described as like your snare drum sounds like it's behind your head for some reason. Whoa, you know that's like a phasing effect too. Huh. So if you've done everything right, um, then when you flip the phase, it should sound worse. But it's bad news if you flip the phase and all of a sudden the snare sounds poppy and and low endy and beautiful and well is it bad news or you just leave it that way you just leave it that way (laughs) (laughs) which one sounds better (laughs) right you do the same thing with uh piano like piano there can be a Mm. ton of phasing stuff with acoustic guitar there can be phasing issues depending on how you mic things so wait what happens at the piano or something where you have like or with a drum set too you have 10 mics going couldn't they all have phasing issues everywhere they could be do that well, I've heard of um, guys that do a lot of drum miking. They will first check the phase of the two overheads, and they'll make sure the two overheads are in phase first. Mm. And then they'll check each drum mic against the overhead. Right? So, like, oh, okay. snare top, they'll, they'll check the snare top 
uh, via the overhead, and then uh -huh. they'll adjust the snare mic to to be in phase with the overheads. Oh my gosh, it's like tuning a steel drum or something. Like you tune one spot, and then all the other ones are out of tune. It know? can be maddening. It can be horrible, especially when you're when you're doing this like beautiful classical piano, and you have six mics going. You know, two sets of rooms, like medium room, far room. Yeah. Two close mics. It's just like, oh my God, we're sound checking for so long. Well, folks, <laughs> if you're in New York and you need an audio engineer, just just hit up Leland. This this is too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> hire Leland. There hire, is a lot to think about, though. It's pretty it's pretty intense. Like, you know, people talk about I think um, you know mixing versus mastering. We had an episode on that too, and how those are like you know, the reason that those are separate crafts and arts. And I feel like with the audio, just like the whole setup and recording space too, like that's a craft of its own as well. That's actually something I sort of decided for myself recently was like, I actually don't like mixing. I'm like, I kind mm. of am realizing the more I do it, I'm like, I just like tracking. I like recording. I like working with artists. I like setting up mics and like being in like, all right, let's go. Like, no, do that again. Like, you know, let's get this best performance we can get. I really enjoyed that part more than the mixing. Yeah. And I can still do some of the mixing on certain projects if I want to. But like, at the same time, I know, I know people, I have good friends that love mixing. So yeah, I, let me, let me push it on the work to them, you know, like just spread it around, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, music is a communal thing. You can, you can make music alone. And you can play music alone, but it's really, really hard to uh, to like not appreciate the value of having people together working together, uh, like all the way up from like the highest pop productions. Like I've been reading articles about pop productions, blows my mind how many people are working on these songs. Like mm -hmm. you know, referencing history, the lyrics, the melody the mixers, the producers, the it's like an insane team down to, you know, just you and your buddies getting together. It's still like a super additive effect. I feel like every time, because everybody brings something else to the table and maybe that's just what you like to do. But I don't know. That, that always gets me jazzed. <laughs> well, well, okay. Look, while we're still on this topic of phasing, because mm. when you brought up phasing, um, I feel like it's so if we grasp the concept of phasing, uh, we could use that concept to help us understand acoustics in a way and and maybe help to help us to all understand our rooms and maybe what's going on in our rooms, because basically the basics of, of, of learning acoustics in rooms is thinking about our sound source. We got two speakers and mm -hmm. thinking about the reflections the the first reflections the early reflections they're called in the room and why we want to eliminate those and so sort of along the same lines of phasing is like when you're in your room you're trying to maximize the direct signal from your speakers to your ears that's the that's gonna that's the purest sound you want the most accurate sound the most transferable to other systems is that direct mm. so that's what we're trying to maximize and we're trying to eliminate all the reflection that could be clouding up our judgment clouding up our ears from that direct signal mm -hmm. 
So like when 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 we're sitting at our desk and we got the two speakers here, the direct signal is coming, boom, hitting our ears, passing us, going out behind us, bouncing off the walls, whichever walls you don't have acoustic panels on, and coming back to the backs of our heads or the sides of our heads or the top and the bottom and everywhere. And that is like, that is, I guess you could say it could be a form of, of phasing, right? It's like that same sound signal reflected hitting our ears at a different time than yeah. our direct signal is. Because it takes some time to go reflect off the wall and come back and then exactly. maybe reflect off two walls and come back. And you're just getting that over and over and over the more reflective your room is. Yeah, so not only are we getting, it's going to be a weird phasing issue. It's also, the sound is going to be distorted based off whatever material your wall is made out of. The sound is literally slapping off the wall and coming back and who knows what that wall is doing, you know? Mm. So that that concept of phasing and trying to understand sound waves and how they're interacting in our room, you know, that can help us think about Whatever, whatever room you're in, right, listener, whatever room you're in right now, just look around. Just think about it. Just think about all this air pressure, creating oh. sound waves, bouncing off things, getting absorbed by things. You know, this music stuff is not all computers, technical things, even though digital, that's what it is a lot these days. And it's cool. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But it's important to remember that this is all just air pressure in the world also and we have we have tiny little hairs inside our ears that is really sensitive to certain air pressures and that's why we can even that's why we're here right now talking about this it's so interesting like thinking like you described it so well I've, i've you sort of made me picture my room as like a big box of water almost (laughs) and like all of the water just like moving around (laughs) around my head i mean i guess air is really a fluid you know like sound is a fluid and it's bouncing the way water would oh but you know i wish we could see it i know (laughs) yeah it'd be great right if it had color it'd be so cool i've always thought that about wind too but that's a different discussion but (laughs) it would just be cool to see it because like you say like it's easy to just forget that it's like a tangible thing moving through the room. Um, like I, I rarely think of the room I'm in when I'm listening to music. It's like, oh, it sounds like this in here. Oh, I love how it sounds in my car. Or, you know, I love how it sounds in this room. Oh, it sounds weird in this room. Like my friends went to the wedding the other day and they were like, it was a great wedding, but honestly, I couldn't hear anyone the whole time. There was It was uh, like all cement in this massive room, reflections everywhere. Like I couldn't hear, they're calling tables or whatever they're doing. And, and they like I I could didn't have a good time. I was just screaming, and everyone was screaming because no one could hear, and that just made it even louder. Um, it's pretty higher. You got to hire Kumar to treat that room, dude. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> okay, so how do you figure out that? Like, let's let's walk through like trying to make a room better. Um, so wh- how do you uh, take out that first reflection? I guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first things is gonna be. Um, first things is going to be looking at your speakers, looking at your sound source and basically just following those two sound sources that you have, you know, wherever they, they should meet 
Okay, well, I guess the first thing is how you set up your speakers. In general, mm-hmm. you want to set up your speakers in an equilateral triangle between the two speakers and the listening position. So where you're sitting to your two speakers should just be an equilateral triangle. Mm. Like, number That's one. Satisfying. I like that. It's Easy. nice. <laughs> Simple, right? You don't even need to measure it. Exactly. You could use a reference, use your arms. As long as they're equal, yeah. you're good. Then, after that, then, so we want to start thinking about panels. We want to start thinking about reflection, right? Mm-hmm. So, we're going to look at, basically, look from your speaker and a direct line past your listening position to wherever that's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Whether, like, you're... Your right side speaker is probably going to be angled in, you know, so it's going to pass you and go to your left wall. Same thing, the left side speaker is going to pass you, go to whatever's on your right wall. So one way, one way to place these, and this is actually something I did with Blake on video, on a video call across the country, which was, which was cool. I'm glad it worked out. I had him, I had him put a mirror, a little mirror in front of his speaker. And then once he had the panel that I had shipped him and figuring out where exactly to hang it, right, you can basically just have it on the wall, slide it around, you know, and, you know, you you need to put your eyes like right kind of in the middle of the panel, but slide the panel around on the wall until it's boom, right visible in that mirror that's right at your speaker sound source, right? Mm. So that's one way to just, you know, make sure it's going to be right. And also, the bigger your room, the more, as the sound leaves the speaker, it's like a cone coming out. So it's going to be in a bigger space. So the farther and farther away it gets, it's, you know, not at, you need a bigger panel on the wall, yes, but also it's like the placement is not as, like, precise or accurate or, you know what I mean? I see. Mm, That makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, because it starts to, like, kind of spray. Yeah, so that's much. interesting. I know a lot of cool studios have like no parallel walls. I was trying to think like, so, okay, so let's say you got some some pads and some panels and you kind of put them in those direct paths from your speakers. Then after that, let's say there's some of that cone effect that's bouncing around. It's going to go to probably 10 different walls after that. Like it goes every direction, right? So mm-hmm. is, it, is it just like you kind of, you know, putting a rug down is great because you're just catching a lot of that secondary wave is that kind of the thinking there or how do you yeah i mean you really think about every time it reflects the sound is losing a little bit of power Hmm. you know so the by the time you're on your third fourth reflection it's like i don't i don't know probably not that audible right not that critical you know every time it hits a wall the sound actually comes to a complete stop before it reverses direction and comes back that was something that got was illustrated to me recently but yeah basically you want to eliminate you want to eliminate the parallel walls um so nothing gets uh, you know in a parallel wall then it's going back and forth back and forth and you're in between it just confused lost Uh... but with a parallel wall i mean one way to think about it is actually this is something we do when we're building vocal booths is um in order to build the window for the vocal booth it's a double pane glass and on the inside the the glass is pitched so that the first frame is just a straight flat one 
and then we build a custom frame for the window on the inside to sit in at an angle like this mm. so that yeah. when the micro wow. when the listener is in there and you're speaking uh the sound goes past the microphone or whatever and hits the window and instead of reflecting right back into the back of the mic the sound is actually reflected straight down right because it's at a yeah uh-huh yeah like that just get it out so, of there yeah that's that's essentially the same thing you can apply to you know parallel surfaces in your in your in your room and one one way to one way to handle that you know you could go about building crazy walls and getting getting technical and doing a lot of construction and stuff like that but if you're in a blank room or you're setting up a studio, one great thing to do is, you know, we all we have a tendency to set up spaces like, boom, flat wall, set up the desk against the flat wall, right? Mm-hmm. But actually, what's going to be best is you're going to want to set your desk up like in a corner, like going across the corner. Does that make sense? Whoa, yes, yes, yes. Interesting. Like going across the corner, right? So it's like you're looking into the corner. And what that does is, um, number one, you're moving your speakers off of the wall more. You know, you're creating a space behind your desk, which means there's going to be less reflection happening behind the speakers, which is actually one of the most critical places um, hmm. when you're treating a room. We can talk about that, too. But, yeah. So you're moving your whole desk off the wall. You're moving your desk more into the middle of the room, farther mm-hmm. away from these walls that are creating these reflections. And now your walls are not at a parallel to your listening position. You know, you're sitting like a diamond in your room, basically. Right. So you don't get stuck in those like reflections going back and forth. They all just kind of scatter more. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I could do that in my room. I might do that. Yeah, definitely. I told you to do that a long time ago. Oh, I didn't listen. <laughs> so, okay, look, I feel like this, we still got enough time to talk about, I'll just keep going on how I think about treating a room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah just good. walking to, uh, say say you're setting up your studio space, so, you know, what's going to be the optimal way to do that? So number one, let's set up the desk in the corner, bring the speakers off the wall, bring your listening position off the wall as well. Mm-hmm. And you're going to want to think about those first reflections going from the speakers, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to definitely get some acoustic panels in there. Um, one thing, the bigger the room, I don't want to say always the bigger the room, but pretty much, okay, you want to set up, if your room is a rectangle, you want to set up your room the long way, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want, you don't want a wall right behind you. That's going to create so much reflections. That's kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah. You want space for the sound to travel away exactly. from you. Yeah. And so then this is one uh, term or idea that I was taught was called like live end, dead end of a room. So basically you want from your speaker source, that's where you want the most absorption. So towards the front of your room, behind your speakers, in the corners of your room, you know, you want bass traps, clouds, wall panels, rugs, the most absorption we can get closest to the speaker source. Then Mm -hmm. as we move farther back, and this is 
I'm talking about like optimal studio spaces now. Like this is after you've taken care of a lot. This is after you've done a lot of acoustical work already. But there's you can actually go too far with absorption, and it actually it it messes with our brains as humans because we're not nowhere in the world is actually completely dead. All full, dead sounding, completely absorbed, absorbing. You know, there's yeah. always reflection happening in the world. You know, yeah. So it doesn't really sound natural if you're in a just super absorption absorbed place, and it doesn't sound natural to record music in a place like that either. So yeah, you want some uh, reflection. You just want it to be somewhat controlled, and I, that's kind of segues right into diffusion. So diffusion, um, in general, you'll see it in the back of a lot of studios, um, is these like spiky or depths of wood, or it can really look like anything. It doesn't have a specific thing, which is cool. It kind of can be artistic. You can make it however you want. All you want to make sure is that you have different depths. Basically, you want to have reflection at different depths so that it's when the sound wave hits that it diffuses the sound wave out it's mm. it breaks it up and spreads it out so it's not just slapping against the wall and it's coming right back at you it's like hitting all these different depths and some of it is getting reflected like that like like this yeah. at times you know any it's texture same... will do that right yeah, any sort of textural thing and, and things at different depths. That's the really key part. It's the same thinking of as uh, why they build wave breaker walls out of rock and not just like concrete slabs. Because, oh, really? Yeah, if you want, if you're building a wave breaker wall uh, to protect like a marina or a dock or something, and you have a wave coming at it from the side, that wave will be reflected perfectly back. Mm. Whereas if you build that breaker wall out of rock, the rock is really there's so many, there's so many different kinds of edges and so you sort of like diffuse the wave and cause it not to reflect back perfectly. It's yeah. sort of the same thing with the with a diffuser at the back of a studio. Yeah, exactly. That's a yeah. good image. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, it. Really, that's really cool. I've also heard it described as like like what is the sound of diffusion? It's actually similar to what we hear as reverb. Oh, oh yeah. I guess you're spreading right. it out like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I love reverb. that sound. <laughs> yeah, it it sounds natural to our ears. Like there's really there's early. a bit of reverb in in the world in a really short reverb. Yeah, really that's really cool. Reverb. Oh, that's so, awesome. I've never heard it described like that before. Yeah, that's one that's way cool. to think about it. Um, like oh, spreading the sound out. So yeah, basically, you want to set up your room absorption as much as possible closest to the source and as you move farther back in the room you can start to allow some reflection to happen or implement some diffusion um, Mm. on the back wall you almost always see it on the back wall of these studios yeah yeah that's nice makes a nice natural sound at the end of the day i think my takeaway is like this is a journey like i got these panels from you they're amazing they're great they're helping my sound quality but like this room's still a little empty, right? I still got to work on it. Like I finally, I did get a rug. It covers like half of it, but you could probably hear it in my microphone. It's a little bit like an empty house kind of flavor. And I'm slowly going to add things and hopefully like hear how it changes over time. Um, Because you notice it when you move into a house or something, like you'll notice an empty room. 
but I feel like a lot of us don't have the like the privilege of you know getting that real nice studio sound. So it's going to be a journey. I'm going to take it one step at a time to get it right. Yeah. Hey, in the three minutes we have left, I wanted Kumar. Can you just quickly plug what you're doing now? Yes, please. Tell us all the good things. I know you have a solo project. Yeah. So I already sort of covered the 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 acoustic business. I'm I'm working on launching right now in terms of music. Um, I'm engineering here at Silvercore Studios. If you're in New York, you know, hit us up. We can book. You could book a session. We can make music. Da da da. Um, on my own work, I I recently dropped a a solo instrumental project of some you know more it's sample based music and and drums and live live bass recorded in um and yeah i'm I'm proud of that that that's out there you can find it under kumarungai k-u-m-a-r-u-n-g-a-i on uh spotify and all that um here's what it looks like to uh to all our video people yes boom i love that amazing i've listened to that album probably 30 times yeah throw it on throw it on while you're working you know some instrumental music throw it on in the car whatever and then um the 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 exciting thing i've been the project i've been working on most recently that i'm putting a lot of energy into right now is with a dear friend of mine um ade hakim who is uh incredible multi-talented like vocalist rapper producer like one of the just a just like i I can't even say enough like honestly like to me one of a foundation of the contemporary underground of hip-hop in the bronx new york like in the birthplace of hip-hop doing it pushing a renaissance man and so definitely go check out his music but we've come together recently um we were recording a lot of music together and I've been playing bass with him and we've been performing it. We've played a few shows, um, playing live bass, um, triggering beats off a sampler and having drums. It's actually really crazy. We've been playing shows. He has a, all right, I got a minute. Let's go. <laughs> he's, he's been, he's got a, a looper, a RC 505. And so we broke all his beats up onto the looper. So what? he can trigger the drums, trigger the sample, everything separately. And then I'm playing live bass in there and he's rapping. It's crazy. That's so sick. come catch a show. Ade Hakim and Kumurungai playing bass. Also catch us on Ade Hakim's YouTube channel every Thursday. We do a live stream from a scenic area, sometimes out of the back of the car, playing playing bass and beats and raps wherever wherever in new york you might find us different places astoria queens bronx brooklyn we're all over the place so thursday around 7 p.m sunbeam streams on uh youtube catch us let's that's go beautiful that's thank sick. you so much leland thank you kumar you're thank an amazing you, human we know we'll have you back and uh tell the people much love until next time most definitely you guys, you guys are doing a cool thing here i'd love to come back i love talking about this shit When the project drops, we'll have you back for sure.